You know, imagine you're an artist. You do some art that you love, but no one sees it. Or you do some art and you feel a little bit dirty, but the world sees it and you make loads of money. Here we are. Dan. But more, how are we doing? Good. So let's get straight in. There's one reason and one reason only. Well, actually, first of all, just to be clear, I'm interviewing you for my podcast in your studio. Yes. Just get, getting it the right You're way around. In the matrix. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the reason for this interview, why I remember we were texting a little while ago is, what the hell were you thinking? What is going on with you and Samuel Leeds? Yeah. So he came to this very studio. Um, we decided to do a collab. So I decided to dance with the devil. I, I, just in case people don't know, they've been hiding under a rock. It's probably what's it. Samuel Eads, who has a property, also owns a property training company. So yeah. a competitor of yeah. yours. So we have the UK's largest property training company. And I think Samuel, you know, is, likes to try and punch above his weight. And he's got his own theories on the size of his training company. But I mean, we've been doing it 16 years and it's under undeniable that we're the biggest um so yeah he came to the studio was doing these rather weird and provocative instagram stories about he's on the turf of the enemy and his first question to me when interviewing me was um i understand you think you can take me out on a fight will you put your money where your mouth is and he was sat there and i was sat here and just in that moment i just thought yeah i, I think i can do this put 50 grand straight down that became 100 grand so we've got a 100 grand bet in six weeks time on july the 1st in front of 1600 people and it's on it's on so, so, so I, i've got two thoughts uh, first of all he's 25 kilos heavier than me as well well, well mate, but isn't this just pure ego bullshit frankly i mean what, what i mean let, let's be clear it, like, have you seen the footage? I've had my my uh, uh, friends, members, like messaging me going, have you seen this? And uh, and seeing your little scuffle in your pre-interview podcast. And it, it, some people are going, is it all just hype? And you're both in on it, collaborative? Is there a true hatred? And underlying it all, like, what, what, what's the drive? Or is it is it just because some would argue that it's just people are in a, in a dick-swinging contest? Um, right. So... Take the dick swinging last. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let me let me think about this and work this out and give you a very honest answer. Okay. Because I could easily give you a um, you know, a PR based answer. So it feels like it's maybe fifteen percent ego. Okay. He came to my studio mm -hmm. doing all this provocative footage and challenged me. Yes. So I can't say there's no ego. That would be a lie. But it's definitely not more than fifteen to twenty percent. Because um, I'm training, I don't want to give any, anything away in my training, but if you saw me training, you wouldn't see ego in my training. You'd see someone who is like, I will, there will be no regrets when I get to the fight. I'd have done everything I can You're in doing training. Your best. Uh, like, and some, put myself through some shit. So I know, because if there was ego, I'd be like, oh, well, I need to train a few times a week. He's overweight. Oh, I've got this. And there's, there's none of that. I'm training humbly. Um, the, the I did think, oh, I've never really had any beef with anyone online. And if there's anyone in the industry that I'd quite like to have beef with, it's him because there's no one else I really dislike more than him in my industry because I'm not really a disliking kind of person. I don't really hate anyone. You've known me for years. It's not my character. So I definitely thought, oh, beef time. I can try this beef thing out. 
which because by the way, I'm a content creator. I've got I've had no beef with anyone, but a lot of the content creators they create a lot of beef. Mm-hmm. They've even retrospectively said that they sort of stage it behind the scenes. There's no staging behind the scenes, by the way. Just so you know, I mean, we have to talk. We're organising a fight. We do some time to exchange ideas. How can we sell out the tickets? How can we make the show great? But he is coming to knock me out, and I am coming to knock him out. And there is going to be no bullshit performance. I'm going to go in there fast. And I'm going to take him to a dark place and probably second, maybe early third round, he's going down. I'm taking him out. That is a fact. So anyone who's thinking this is staged, you can get that. I mean, look at me. I've lost fucking loads of weight. weight. Um, Yeah. Anyway, I want to talk about my training because I don't want to give him any advantage. Um, the biggest reason I'm doing this is because I'll raise over £130,000 for charity. So when people say, oh, dick swinging egos, well, you raise £130,000 for charity then. And I am putting myself through hell because, you know, train hard, fight easy. Right. So I'm putting myself through hell in the training, knowing that when I win that fight, I win the hundred grand. That hundred grand isn't going in my bank account. That's going to go to charitable causes of which I've already, I've already selected some. So I'd probably say... 50 to 60% of it is the charity angle. I'd probably say 15% is ego. 20% is let's test this beef thing. And then the rest of it is a, a personal challenge. We were just talking before about High Rocks, which you do. And like we've all talked about, well, I'm going to train hard for summer or for a wedding or whatever. But you don't. Yeah. But when you've got a fight on July the 1st in front of 1,600 people, by the way, like a lot of those are my mates. <laughs> you know, I'm like... That is accountability on another level. I hadn't done cardio for five years, um, and, and now I'm training a lot. So that's the, I know it's a long answer, Dan, but that's the honest answer. There's a little bit of ego in it, but um, anyone who accuses me of this being ego or dick, dick swinging, go and raise £130,000 in front of 1,600 people, put in your neck on the line, and then come back and say that to me. Yeah, you know, it's fair. Now, you bang on, and it's, there's an assumption that ego's a bad thing, right? As in... Yeah. Uh, I, I raced high rocks against an employee, just a, 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 a team member, just a week ago. I've trained hardcore for that. Now, it, admittedly, it wasn't for a hundred grand. Yeah. It, it was purely for bragging rights. Yeah, but still, but that's still a motivator. Correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah As yeah. is a hundred grand, by the way. Well, yeah. so, so I've got to ask yeah. this question: uh, uh, What does your business partner think about this? Because I presume you're betting because it's promotional as well for the business. I, I would guess. Maybe, maybe it's not. Maybe you disagree. But is it the business's money? Um, in which case, what did you, what did Mark have to say about this? Yeah. Uh, or is it, or is it your own money that's on the line? Um, it's a charity event, so um, I actually can't tell you specifically how all the money's going to move because there's the bet, which is essentially going to be a charity donation, um, and then there's the expenses for the event, many of which are company and some of which aren't. So Mark's going to organise all that. He's obviously going to do it in the most tax-efficient way. Sure. Um, but I'm, I'm more than happy to say to Mark, you know, Mark, if you don't really think this is corporate, um, then I'll, I'll, I'll dip in, put my hand in my own pocket. I don't mind doing that. I, I mean, I think the, the benefits to the business will outweigh the costs of the event. Do you think that's true, win or loss? I know you, you've only got winning your mind. But yeah. I'm thinking if, if I was the business partner... Yeah. I, I'd be well, the, you and Mark are a bit more similar than, <laughs> right. than, than, than myself. And, like, I've been training now for 18 weeks. And probably in the first week... I, in my mind, went to, a, to, to the place of if I lost. 
because I think you have to. You mm. can't be delusional. Right. I know I'm going to win. I really believe it. Any time I think about the fight, there's loads of ways I can. There's one way he can win the fight. There's ten ways I can win the fight. I, I know all this, but I had to go to the place of what if I lost before I could then build on that. So, um, number one is I'll still be part of a hundred and thirty grand charity raise. It's just I'll only have a control of 30 of the money, not 100. Because right. Samuel's also agreed. At first, he was like going to spend half of it putting billboards of me in Peterborough, of him <laughs> knocking me out. But I soon think he realised that is ego. And I know he's going to do, he's going to pledge 100 of that. Great. And he'll do good things with that. So even if I lose, I've still collaboratively with Samuel Lee's raised Lee's 130,000 pounds for charity, even if I lose. Also... I know I'm ready to fight him now. Like you could probably tell by my energy. I'm ready. I've got so much energy. I'm ready now. I know when I finish that fight, win, lose or draw, there would have been nothing more I could have done in training. And so my fitness level and my skill level and the person I've become level, the only way I lose is if he gets a, a lucky knockout punch, a puncher's chance. It's the only way I lose. And if that happens, that happens. But I, I will still... I will still know, fucking hell, the man I've become and the training I've done. Like, all my lads who are fighting on the undercard, they're half my age. I'm fucking twice as fit as them all. Mm. And I kill them on all of the training. And I'm 44. So, um, yeah, it, was, it, it will still be a big promotional and advertising thing if I lose. I, I love that. Thank you. And uh, whatever the result, uh, 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 you and Samuel... Drinking, uh, having a drink together afterwards, or, 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 or is it, has it gone too far? So I don't know how he's going to take the loss. <laughs> so we'll have to wait and yeah. see. But you know, I'm not going to, like, I don't mind saying this. I'm not going to go around goading the guy forever. The guy stepped in the ring with me, and that deserves some respect. And some of the things he said along the way have been a bit bullshitty. Um, and you know what, he, he needs to be put in his place and that's why this is happening. There's a, the universe I've, I've is felt, giving I've me the, the chance. I've felt the comments on your wife are a little bit below the belt. Yeah, and completely unrealistic, you know. Um, so yeah, he, he, yeah, he's pushed the line and all that, but that makes him a worthy villain. Mm. And yeah, yeah, he did talk about my sexuality and my wife. So that's going to hurt him even more when I knock him the fuck out. <laughs> so, so that's a perfect jumping off point for, let's talk about uh, controversy online. So you are, some would say, uh, uh, a controversial character, or certainly not afraid of sharing your opinion. Yeah. Um, uh, and one of the things I like about you is that you, you are willing to voice your opinion, uh, but it's uh, uh, both the positive things, but also the negative. You've been very open and transparent with some of your struggles in the past, etc. But uh, where does the line get drawn between? Um, uh, are you saying things that you believe, and it's just you being real, or are you deliberately just trying to poke to create a reaction? Where's like the line between, I suppose, truth and bullshit? Yeah, um, Harry and I talk about this a lot um, because Harry's the producer of the show. And, you know, he needs the videos to be seen and he knows he can play the game with the algorithm a bit or create something spicy. And then I'm interviewing all these really famous people and they, they don't really like that. And so there's this push-pull paradox. Like, you know, imagine you're an artist. You do some art that you love, but no one sees it. Or you do some art and you feel a little bit dirty, but the world sees it and you make loads of money. You know, they're, they're extreme paradoxes, but that is kind of where I think. So um, 
I always speak my truth. Um, and maybe I've had one or two guests where if I look at you, I go, they were probably more for controversy than for content. And that makes me feel a bit dirty. And, and so my sense of if I've pushed the line is if I feel a bit dirty. And what makes me feel dirty is number one, if I attack an individual, not an institution, which I've, I just don't do. Like, like try and find content online of me attacking an individual. And there might have been once or twice, and that makes me feel dirty because it's like, we're all just trying to do our best. I don't mind attacking central banks or governments or political institutions or, or whatever, because one, I'm not attacking an individual. And two, some of these institutions need criticism. Um, so if I attack an individual, which I rarely, if ever do, that makes me feel dirty. And if I think, I'll, I'll say this to Harry, I think, look, I just don't want it to feel gimmicky. So if it feels like we're using gimmicks, um, like you did one. No, it wasn't you. There was a thumbnail we did on, what's the Geordie guy? True Geordie. Can you remember what it said? There you go. So my team created a thumbnail on a chat I'd had about True Geordie. And it said, True Geordie is a fat fuck. And that thumbnail was going wild and that video was going wild. And in the end, I said to them, I want you to take that down. I wasn't involved in creating that thumbnail. Mm -hmm. And this is the paradox. They're like, no, 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 we've got to keep it. This thumbnail's fucking going wild, blah, blah. And I'm sitting there thinking, that makes me feel dirty because I wouldn't say that to his face. And... So that's the line for me. So does that mean, so if you've said it, uh, you're only saying what you believe. I didn't say that, by the way. Yeah, that was, sorry, yeah. not, I don't mean that yeah, one. Yeah. I mean, generally, because um, is there a difference between the public Rob and the, uh, the private Rob in the sense of, are you saying some things on camera because you know it, uh, you, you're turning up the volume perhaps and saying it a little bit more aggressively to get a response? Or... or um, or are you saying, no, no, there's no difference. I'm, I'm saying what I mean. Right. Um, Harry, come here. Come here. Um, I don't know if I can answer that, but Har Harry, um, everyone, this is Harry. So Hi, Harry's Harry. my producer. He drives my cars when we go to the events because I've got some nice cars and he likes cars. So we have had, he has had more conversations with me behind the scenes than anyone. So... Answer this as honestly as you want, because it is what it is. There's the mic. Um, how different am I in the car to in the content? Same. Same. Mm. So I get shouty, screamy, ranty in the car? Uh, no, you're pretty chill, actually. Yeah. But I can tell you're not playing a character. You are the same right here as we are when we do a shoot. Is it the same when you're doing a business meeting? The same when you're in the car. There's not a, a show to you. No. Nah. Yeah, I, I think sometimes make you, a, some people make a distinction. I've heard people say to me when I said I was coming to meet with you, that, oh, Rob's very angry. To which my response is, I, I think it's mis uh, misguided. It's like being passionate about something is not being, and saying what you think and being outspoken is different than, because I, I do get that you're uh, a chill guy, because I, I would have the same perception about me. Some people feel on certain topics, I'm very yeah. anal. Yeah. Like crazy on top of, but underneath it, I kind of go, no, I'm, yeah. I'm good. This is just how I see the world. Mm. So talking about controversy, um, and you've had so many great interviews. Uh, congratulations. We're recording this just, just after you released the uh, Jordan Belport 
podcast, mm -hmm. which I listened to on the way down here. But of all the interviews you've done, you've done many hundreds, uh, who's... Uh, who stands out? Or what are the top two or three that really stand out for being your favourite guests? So it depends how you define favourite. If your favourite as in quality of conversation, that's one metric. If your favourite as in who I love, that's another metric. And then if your favourite as in hit all the numbers, subscribers, revenue, algorithm, views metric. So they're different answers. I don't mean to complicate the question. but uh, Well, give us all three. Yeah. So um, my rock god is a guy who plays in a progressive rock band called Porcupine Tree, who most people don't know, but I love. They're essentially me, the, a better version of Radiohead, and Radiohead are a great band. And so I interviewed the lead singer, and we've become friends, and that to me was just like, you know. They say don't meet your heroes, but he was actually the coolest, most humble guy, and I loved that. Um, in terms of fascinating conversation... I would actually say one of my favourite conversations was with Matt Goss of Bross okay. um, in recent times. I think Harry loved the conversation with Jordan Peterson, didn't you? You liked that the most. I loved my conversation with Jordan Peterson. He just that. got cut off really short. And we would, you know, he's a bit standoffish, you can understand. He's had a lot of attacks on him. And I, I just got in there and his trust and we were just warm. And then we had to shut the door. So I felt a bit like... You know, we went out for dinner. We're just halfway through the main course and then you had to go. But but Harry loved what we got. And so he's probably, in terms of quality, he's right up there. And we got him a bit before he was massive. In terms of ticking all the boxes in all the craziness, Andrew Tate. Because obviously he's the most controversial person on the planet. We've got great content, deep content. So much feedback that um, he was the, our interview with him was the best of, of him. He got in prison soon after. So that was when... That game stopped. We had millions of views. We got shadow banned. It was great. It was shit. It was great. It was shit. We had the biggest downloads on our podcast by like, I think we had 300% more downloads in a week on that episode than we had on any other episode ever, even ones that have been there for seven years. So it just pff, fucking blew everything up. Um, and I, you know, with most of the guests now, I stay friends with them and stay in contact. So, um, I mean, it's funny, you say people think I'm controversial. I like, I don't really think I am. And Harry, you know, I, like, I wanted him to answer it, not to brag, but like, I do think I'm the same guy. I just probably know you've got to turn it up a bit on social media for energy more than anything. Like, if we were in the car, I wouldn't have the same energy. Because right. you'd be like, we're in the car, Rob. Fucking, you know, I can hear you. I'm here. So I, I lift my energy up. But, you know, and, and back to the note of, oh, Rob seems angry. I'm fucking angry about the government and about taxes. There are things you should be angry about. That's, that's my next question. I know. Well, I saw your email today about the, the government. <laughs> yes. And, you know, the, our country is being ruined. I'm a chill guy who's fucked off with the government. And that's okay. All right. Let's talk about it. So, so, so who's next on the list? So, um... I know your point, because I was racking my brains. Yeah, yeah, I haven't seen Rob rant against an individual, but I see you fairly frequently rant against institutions. Yeah, but so, if, we don't, if we don't hold institutions accountable, they'll do what the fuck they want. So, so here's, here's the question, is the push I'm pretty sure they'll do what they want <laughs> regardless. Yeah. But what would you do, do differently? True. So let, let, let's take tax. But we still have to shout about it, otherwise they'll be even worse, won't they? Well, because we, I don't, I we don't could know. argue, oh, well, there's no point in saying anything because they won't do anything. But if everyone had that, nothing would change. Okay, so so, well, uh, so let me... Um, sometimes, 
uh, you're a father, I'm a father. Sometimes the, the children, uh, one of my kids might be having a complete rant and they're having a meltdown. And, and when I get to the bottom of it, it's like, is there a problem that you actually want to solve or are you just venting? Because I've, I've got mm. two daughters. Yeah, yeah. I have two daughters and one son. Uh, they're, they're, they're just venting. So if I was the central bank, I might go, Rob, well, actually, no, I would just ignore you. I don't know you exist. But, but, <laughs> Unless I got too big. <laughs> right, right, right. You're a rounding error <laughs> on my balance sheet. you to remain in um, prison. But, but, <laughs> but what, what would you change? So, so you're going to go, taxation's unfair. Yeah. was a rant of yours I heard fairly recently. Taxation's yeah. unfair. I might agree, but as soon as you have to zone down, like the taxation levels, especially for people listening to this po- podcast who are business owners. Yeah. Uh, with the corp tax going up to 25%, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The, if you're the additional rate taxpayer with dividends, you're paying 63%. Yeah. It's mind-blowing. Yeah. Uh, what would you do differently? G- yeah. g- give me, give me kind of, what would your policies be? What would your... Okay. So um, I'm fully aware when I share my opinions that um, I have my own biases. So my biases as an entrepreneur yes. with the belief that entrepreneurs build meaningful things, engineer meaningful things, advance technology and humanity in a meaningful way. That's not to say that employees don't, but the entrepreneurs take the risks, build the things, and then collectively bring together the employees. So I think, keeping it simple, mistake number one our government is making is it's creating an enemy of the engineers, the entrepreneurs, the builders, the movers, the shakers, the change makers instead of an alliance. There are hardly any entrepreneurs in government. The prime ministers and all the people in politics don't understand how to run a business. I mean, the government is a legally insolvent entity. And we would get put, we would either be done for fraud or could get put in prison if we knowingly ran our companies insolvently. But they're allowed to. They don't even probably understand it. So number one is you need to create a friend, not an enemy, with the entrepreneurs because, number two, the way to grow the economy is not to take money off everyone. Now, they're taking money off everyone because they've got massive national debt, massive expenses. Lockdown was an expensive thing to pay for, whether you think it's right or wrong. So the government clearly only know how to take money off people. What they don't know how to do is to grow GDP, grow an economy. And the way you grow an economy is you find things that need building, solving, fixing, and you incentivize builders and engineers and entrepreneurs to go and do that to take the risk. And you work collaboratively with them, i.e., oh, let's give you a tax break and a write-off for the risk of starting your business, of putting your home and your family on the line. Um, because they used to do that, and now they've taken them all away. Entrepreneurial relief was 10 mil, now it's 1 mil. Corp tax is going up. So now people, you know, I'm leaving a lot of my money in the company to avoid paying the extra tax. So the government think they're getting it by charging me more tax, but they're not getting it because I don't want to withdraw it and pay 25% corp, and then 45% income, and then national insurance, and then business rates. That's another thing. You want to start a business, you get slapped with business rates. You've already got rent everything else. So reduce business rates, encourage people to build and solve and rebuild this country and and create economic growth again. 
That's fundamentally, I think, where they're wrong. So, so, so I'm going to play devil's advocate because it, it's easy for me as an entrepreneur. Because you probably agree, business. I guess. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, although, so here's the, here's the counter-argument. I've been thinking a lot about this recently. If you look at, um, in practice, uh, you, let me give you an example. I could be slightly off on the years. Between 53 and 73, right, that uh, two decades following World War II, taxation, corporate taxation was at the highest levels it's uh, ever been. Um, uh, uh, in the United States, which where I was looking at the data from last night, the uh, GDP growth was uh, 4% annually uh, in a massive nation, regardless of tax rates. In other words, there's quite a lot of evidence, one would argue, that I was trying to argue the other side of the coin, that dropping tax rates doesn't seem to drive growth. And if you look at some of the, some of the countries that have tax rates have dropped by the most, it, doesn't, it does not correlate closely with a driving growth. Well, I'd have to look at that data. You'd have to look at what the national debt is at the time, what interest rates are, what inflation is. You know, there's a whole load of sets of data around data. I couldn't comment on that. Um, as an entrepreneur, hiring people, building things, solving problems, if my tax was lower, I'd probably draw more of it out of the corporate entities. Right. Um, the problem as well is when you... So, hold on. So, 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 yeah, so, so there'd, be, there'd be more economic flow. Well, yeah, I'd, actually, I'd, I think... I could so, afford to hire more people. Okay, well, that's valid. But the, the point before that, which is quite interesting, is... Um, I wouldn't want to leave the country, which I'm talking about... Well, most entrepreneurs I know are talking about leaving the country now. Even though I'm trying, I'm trying to play both sides. Yeah. I, was, I was having that exact same yeah, conversation yeah, yeah, yeah. yesterday. No, but but, I don't mind having both sides of the conversation. Right, so, so, but when you said, oh, I, I'd take... Uh, you know, if taxes were lower, um, uh, you said something like, I, I, I wouldn't take, um, I'd take more out, I'd take more out of the, uh, out of the company. Yeah. But actually, I kind of go, well, okay, then if you leave it in the company, then it's going to get reinvested for growth. Like if you take it out, you'll get taxed personally. So if income tax rates went up, uh, uh, sure, you now you're you're now invested to grow, or, or the money's going to. The money is going to flow. Here's an easy way to say it. Are you less motivated to work now and be productive now because corp tax has gone up by 6%? Um, well, it's, it's not gone up by 6%, has it? It's gone from 19 to 25. That's uh, about sorry, yes, that's what, uh, yes, yes, that's what I meant. Yeah, yes, yeah. I, know, I know you were talking numerically, but 19 to 25, some people might be saying, well, that's not much and you're rich and you should just be grateful. That's a, a big hike, 19 to 25. Well, it's huge. Um, but are you going to work less hard? I don't, I don't know that my hard work is correlated to government and policy. I think my hard work is correlated to, am I fighting Samuel Leeds on the 1st of July? Is my company in good working order? Where am I at in my life? But one thing is for sure, and I know a lot of entrepreneurs are having this conversation, they're pushing us so hard, we're thinking about leaving this country. How can that be good for this country? I, I have 105 people sat in this office that you're in that I employ. And I pay, you know, employers and that, well, you know it, employers, national insurance on them. I'm not saying they couldn't get another job, but they've got a job with me. So I'm helping them, you know, with their expenses. We've probably got another 40, 45 outsourced. At one point, I had 150 people on the payroll. Um, and if I leave this country, then that potentially leaves with it. What, how could, why is that right? Here's another thing. So um, why is it, well, I know the answer, but... Why is it that 
small businesses. I mean, we're in the we're just moving. We're in really the medium, just in the medium mm. bracket now. But you know, why is it that small businesses are absolutely raided for tax, but Apple and Google and Amazon? I mean, I think I, I heard a stat that they pay on average four percent corp tax. So, like, I'm pissed off with how they're treating entrepreneurs. But imagine if they were a bit less penal on us, but they were a bit more penal on Amazon, Apple, Google. That would immediately generate hundreds of billions, if not trillions. So, how's that fair? Because I've been saying, don't tax the rich or don't penalize, don't overly tax or overly penalize the rich which I agree with, but define rich, because rich for some people is over 70 grand. What they should be doing is taxing the super rich more and the rich and the working class less. Well, my, fa my favorite definition of like, rich is it's always the people that are making more than me. <laughs> right? Yeah. As in, because if you just think about your argument, and again, it's interesting, I, I'm, I, I'm split personality because I'm with you, but I kind of go, the argument of saying, well, hold on, I'm creating. I've got, if I leave the country, that then this all leaves with me. Mm. The, the, the board of Amazon or Apple go, we're employing hundreds of thousands yeah. of people. But they're paying 4% corp tax. And they're saying, yeah, incentivize us to grow more. Yeah. You tax us more, yeah. we're, 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 we're going to hire a few people. 4% corp tax fair? Because fair is not enough and fair is too well, much. The, well, the truth is, it's, if they take advantage of the tax breaks, which a minute ago you were is, saying, I, yeah, want, right. no, I no, want the tax breaks. Is it that they're taking advantage of the tax breaks or is it that they are in cahoots with the government and making political donations and they've got fingers in a few pies politically and if they withdrew, that would really hurt the party in current power or whoever runs the world? That's the real question, isn't it? Well, I think it's a fair question. And, there's and no by the way, if you or I were that powerful, would that be tempting for us as well? I'm not sitting here saying I'm Mr. Innocent. You know, if you can make a few million political donation here and here, and that might create a rule or a policy that might benefit you, you're essentially playing Monopoly. I'm, I'm not necessarily saying they're all evil. I'm just saying the employed person doesn't even get to offset anything. They see their payslip. Harry talks about this to me a lot. Harry's like, I fucking see my payslip. There's all the tax and there's all these other things and I'm left with fuck all and I don't even see it. That's, for most people, that's not fair when taxes are really high. It's a bit more fair for us because we can offset some things and we mm -hmm. pay tax last, not first. But we're paying 25% corp tax and then the super rich are paying four. If the super rich paid seven, that is probably trillions into your economy again. Great book, Rob. Uh, it might be slightly more Mark the Jekyll, Street. The, no, that, uh, that, 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 I think it's only just come out. I happened to, pick, I was at the airport going to Italy. Okay. And I just saw it, caught my eye, read it. It was stunningly good. Taxtopia. Okay. And it's, right. um, it, it's uh, you, you know, the whole, the secret magistrates, confessions of an A&E doctor. It's in yeah. that style. It's written by somebody called the Rebel Accountants. Oh, right, yes. Uh, 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 yeah. And it breaks down like examples from the Panama Papers in a really cool way. So it's yeah. definitely a... Taxtopia. All right, then. Uh, so on an education basis... Because you can even done. argue tax isn't even required as a revenue source. Because if governments make their own money, why is tax required as a revenue source? Because they could just make their own money. I don't want to open this can of the worms, but you've opened it. So, uh, <laughs> so that, let's go. So what would you do instead? What do, you, do, you think, I, I, do you think we should have no tax and the central bank should just I'd print money? I'd have a because that would. I'd have a flatter. I'd have a flatter rate, okay. a less complicated tax code, okay. and um, I would get a little bit off the super rich 
bearing in mind, if I was in power, I might understand the complexities of, you know, until you're actually in there, you don't really know what's going on. So flatter rate, more simple rate. You know, my accountant tells me how many thousands of pages the tax code is, and it's so complicated. And that can give us an advantage because if we figure it out, we've got the upside that other people don't. I always say to people that you've got to create the unfair advantage in your favour, and that's usually knowledge. It's sometimes good contacts and relationships. So I would, more simple tax code, flatter rate, and I'd get a little bit more off the super rich. I wouldn't want to penalise them because, you know, I, I, I'm rich and I'd like to be super rich. But just, to, you know, I'm sure Mark Zuckerberg and, you know, Tim Cook, they wouldn't mind a couple of extra percent in corp tax. I'd give them a couple of other incentives, uh, well, increase well, employment. Well, Warren Buffett's actually advocating for it, right? Yeah. He's, he's saying, look, I, we should be paying more. Yeah. So. And if they're saying that, then it's clearly not fair. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's what I change. So with all that said, I'm conscious of time. Um, uh, uh, from an education point of view, you're a father, I'm a father, uh, lots of parents listening to this or, or kind of the, the age group. Uh, by the way, side note, you've got a special accolade, Rob. You are the, the most interviewed person on my podcast. Oh, you've wow. had the most repeat visits. I think this is number four. Oh, you. congratulations so you got, to us. <laughs> so so, so uh, uh, most of the listeners are in our age bracket, uh, got families, got kids uh, um, at school. Let's talk about education for kids for money because tax isn't taught at school. Money isn't taught at school, what are your uh, what are your thoughts or takeaways? So, so uh, my son right now is the one who shows the most business interest. He's twelve years old and he's getting his head round. In fact, he's getting weirdly gets his head round um, yields on uh, properties, which is nice. It was self-taught. Yeah. So, so uh, what would your top tips be for parents? We, we just had a bit of a rant about tax. Okay, it's not taught in mainstream education. What should parents listening to this do or be thinking about or what works for you with your children? Okay, so I think the first thing is trying to make learning about money fun. Because I think most of us can relate to being forced to learn things in school that we didn't enjoy. And then that odd lesson or teacher that we really did enjoy, we actually really loved and we didn't mind going to school. Now, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole, but you are never going to get the education to be entrepreneurial, self-reliant, independent, know about assets. And you're never going to learn that in school because the school system is run by the, <laughs> the, the bigger system. And why would the system want to teach everyone in school to be entrepreneurs and free independent thinkers? It doesn't benefit them. Um, so you've got to understand that school's not going to teach them what they need. So how can you make learning about money fun? Um, I was watching the recent Ed Sheeran series. I fucking love Ed Sheeran. Uh, not musically, I think he's talented. It's not my taste. But he is like watching an entrepreneur giving you lesson after lesson after lesson because he, he tells you about how he got successful and how he played in many gigs and how he got confidence by being battered down and how he outworked everybody else and blah, blah, blah. And he went on and on and on about that. And his parents raised him and told him, vocationally, do something you love. And, you, you know, in our world, you hear these trite phrases like, you know, do something you love and you'll never work a day in your life again. Um, but actually, would I rather my kids are multimillionaires, but 
you know, they're a bit bitter and twisted and negative and pessimistic. Because you can go down that road because you can get fucked a lot of times on your way up. Or, you know, they've got, they're making 120 grand a year and they're happy and they're doing something in their life. I'd probably take that option. I probably mm. wouldn't have seven or eight years ago, but I think I've mellowed more and I want to see my children flourish into independent adults, not mini-me's. Um, because there's downsides to being an entrepreneur. You'll know them as well as anyone else. So um, you make learning about money fun. You educate them that, you know, go and find some things you love to do. Because actually, um, you could make millions being a great drummer, if you're in a good band. You, you, could, you can actually make millions out of anything if you're the best at it. Um, and then make money again. So, I mean, if you think about a business, it kind of is a bit like playing Monopoly. Mm -hmm. the, the, the central banking system is a monopoly. And, you know, the central banking system is the banker. And it has all the money and it can just pull more money out. So, and change um, the rules. And change the rules, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, make the rules. Um, I always say, you know, look, if you want to be successful, you, you know, you've got to learn the rules. You know, if you want to be like a, um, a, a millionaire or a multimillionaire, you've got to start breaking some rules. If you want to be a billionaire, you've got to make the rules. Learn, break, make. Now, if, if I was sat in my Dr. Evil chair with my Dr. Evil arm stroking my Dr. Evil cat, and I had the ability to make the rules and control trillions of pounds. Might there be some selfish intent in there? Yes, I'm a human. We all have selfish intent. So I'm, I'm, the more I learn about this, the more I realise it's just humans. You know, like you said, someone said, oh, you know, why is Rob so angry? Rob isn't angry. Rob just gets angry about things. Rob can also get greedy. Rob can also be very kind. Rob can be um, cruel. Rob can be selfless. Rob can give millions away to charity and Rob can spend millions of pounds on cars. I can be any trait that any human can, just like any human can have any trait. And sometimes we look down on others when we think, yeah, well, I would never do that. You probably have and you probably do. So back to your question. Make it fun. Guide them to, to, to try things. That's another thing. Um, teach them to take risk and embrace failing. And something I was never taught. I was always scared of failing. And I didn't want to let my dad down. Um, and I would always protect myself and hide away from failure, whether it was I wouldn't try something or I would tell white lies, you know, to protect myself. But embracing failure and in, in, encouraging, well, encouraging intelligent failure. Because, you know, in the world of business and entrepreneurship, we talk about, you know, multiple failures. No, 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 no. Don't go and borrow a million quid and just spray it around and whoops, well, I failed. It's all right. No, intelligent Failure, calculate failure. They're the, probably the three things. Could you give uh, Could you give an example of that, or how you have done that with one of your chi uh, uh, children? Because uh, I know, for example, with mine, uh, I'm trying to encourage them to uh, invest, and we'll we'll do things together, whether that's literally in the stock market or whether it's a cake stand. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then, then it's like, okay, I'll back you, and I'll 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 put some of the money up, but I need you to put in some of the money as well. Like how? Yeah. What? what have you given your kids Go Henry cards? Uh, no, but I've got an equipment. I've got yeah. rooster cards. Yeah, great. So they're good. Uh, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, again, I'm giving you my opinion and some other people who run a household might have a different opinion. I don't think there should be such a thing as pocket money because when you're 25, you don't get pocket money. None. There's no, there's no such thing as pocket money. There is you either earn it or you are 
um, subsidized by the government because say, you have, yeah, yeah, but yeah. that's not pocket money. Yes, y- yes. You know, that's a different thing. Um, and I think the problem is some people perceive that as pocket yes. money. Yes. Well, well some people have to. probably been raised that that's the way they get money. But all right, they might be able to game the system. By the way, there are some people who don't game the system. There are plenty of people who, you know, have got genuine disabilities. Yes, yes. But there are also plenty of people who are gaming the system. But those people are always going to be on the breadline, you know, because you're never going to get more than, I don't know, you're not going to get, how much can you get on the benefit system? I don't know. I don't know. But you're never going to make a great salary and you're never going to make a great living. You're always going to be living hand to mouth. So people give their kids pocket money but they should be getting, giving, giving their kids more opportunity to earn more, but they've got to work for it. You know, the fundamental number one of being successful is, you know, working hard. Then you've got other things like working smart. Um, but you initially got to teach them the work hard. So, uh, like, I'm saying this, but my wife does give my kids a little bit of pocket money. I don't really like it, but I love my wife. And so, you know, relationships is a sacrifice. And... Um, you know, you're a team. So um, I give my kids lots of opportunities to earn money, whether it's a little competition or, you know, oh, daddy, I need this money for this computer game. Right, here's a go and clean the cars or go and do this. Um, so that's something I try and get them to do. Now, my kids are naturally brilliant at negotiation, especially when there's something that they want. And um, I could, I find myself some getting feeling frustrated that my kids are like, out negotiating me for sweets and what we're going to have on delivery. Yes, and, yes. and now I try and reward that. Because if that was in a boardroom, that would be... So I don't know why, but I, kids naturally have great negotiation skills when it's something that they want. And so this behaviour... Like, for example, my kids can be very persistent with something that they want. And naturally, you're like, oh, come on, no, no. And now it's like, I love your persistence. This is a great quality. Training it, you're just put, Yeah, you're just putting it in the wrong area. We need to put it in this area. So those traits that come out, persistence, negotiation, etc. instead of squashing them down, try and celebrate that and just try and get them to put that energy into something a bit more meaningful. I love it. Rob, it's always a pleasure. I suspect we may be back again, but good luck with Dan. the fight. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers.